this uh, whole week will be instructive, so let me, uh, let me just share a, an illustration of why I have found devotional prayer journaling helpful. Uh, the other day I pulled out a few uh, old uh, notebooks or whatever you want to call them that go inside this little book right here. You can refill it with new, new pads. And I was just thumbing through them and I thought about listening to this song. I had wrote about uh, Benjamin and I were down by the creek one day. This was last fall. And he was looking for worms. <laughs> and I wrote about how that he turned that rock over and lifted that worm up. And it caused my heart to rejoice as I reflected on that's what God did for me. Now, I know the worm probably didn't say it, but in my mind, I'm thinking that worm's probably saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. The worm was probably saying, put me back, you know. Man, by the grace of God, we'd probably say, put me back. But we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. And we're so thankful to be where we are. So I want to start this morning by sharing a fundamental truth that we want to repeat every day of this meeting and repeat it often, and we should remember it every day of our lives, and that is this, there are no masters here. We are all beginners. This morning I began again. When I woke up this morning, I had to start over. Not because my life was wasted yesterday, not because, but I simply need God again. I need a fresh experience with God today. And so we begin again. Thomas Merton said this, there are only three steps to this work. To be a beginner, to be more of a beginner, and to be only a beginner. And I think he was understanding something that, that we may have overlooked or missed in our, our growing up in church, but we're certainly after it today. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, You know it, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This work of transformation is work. And, and that's what you're going to learn this week. It is work. We're not, we're not just, we've got a misconception of salvation. And I've got to stay on my train of thought, because so, I only have 10 minutes. We think, bless the Lord, 23 years ago, I got saved. Well, I didn't get saved. I am being saved. You see? It is an ongoing work of transformation. Why is that important? Because, because to just look back and say what happened 23 years ago and rest on that is why I'm not progressing. It's why I'm not closer to God now than I was 10 years ago. It's why I've got a greater taste for the world than I do for the things of God. It's why I'd rather watch the news than be at prayer. So it's a work. And we're here to learn how to work this week. But you think about Romans 12, what a calling and what an invitation to be transformed. 
So we're going to begin the work this morning with prayer. Father, how amazing it is that we can call you Father. Again, even reflecting on the song that we just were listening to. And Lord, we're honored to be here this morning and we desire and I pray for above all else that you will be honored in what we do here. Lord Jesus, our desire is to find more of your way, more of your truth, and more of your life. And so we ask, lead us into the way everlasting. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee, and let us love thy salvation. And such as love thy salvation, let us say continually, let God be magnified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, my role, and I've got to watch my clock. That's why I started a couple minutes early. I wanted to give myself some time. I had to testify. So my role uh, in the morning prayer times is to, in the evening prayer times, is to bring us all back from our individual prayer and get us ready for the session or for the service. And that's my role. I'm moderating this week, but I have a great opportunity. I talked to the pastor and asked for an opportunity to teach a little too, and he granted and uh, so I, in, my, in my devotions, I'll be speaking. In the mornings, I want to speak to the subject of holiness. And in the evening prayer time, I want to speak directly to the subject of prayer. And then, of course, you know these other men, they're going to be speaking to these other disciplines uh, that we'll be talking about. But it, over the course of these three days, I want to present to you three spiritual truths, uh, kind of couched in three words that uh, I think will aid us in our pursuit of the holiness of God. And that is what we're after. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Well, what is holiness? We keep coming back to that question, and we, and we have to, but what is holiness? And I think, you know, when you talk about holiness, it can bring to mind some different things to people. You know, people may think about a certain dress, a certain type of appearance. You say holiness, people might think of a list of moral prohibitions. Well, that's, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't do this. Uh, or they might, some people even think holiness means getting to sinless perfection. I think... Among us, we understand none of those things are in and of themselves the definition of holiness, although ultimately all of them have a place in holiness and in the progression of holiness. But whatever holiness is, it is not only the attribute of, attribute of God, but it is God's intent for us. As 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us in verses 13 and 16, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of living, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So it is, whatever it is, it is certainly the opposite of what I was without Christ. You know, I'm not to be fashioned according to my former lust. I'm to live a different life. And I know this, the... This is something that the Father is heavily invested in for me. Because look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12 and 13. He said, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Now watch this statement. To the end, the ultimate purpose. Why? To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. So we, we understand that the end of this, the ultimate aim of God, is to establish our hearts, establish us in holiness. So that makes me say, I've got to know what holiness is. 
And if it's not just the way I dress and the way I cut my hair, and it's not just the list of things I don't do, tell me what this is. That's what we're after. So we need to know this morning this word, singularity. That's the word I want to share with you this morning, singularity. Or you might use the word solidarity. But it's, holiness would be singularity of purpose. It is, it is bringing our life in complete union, complete alignment with God. Holiness is at its core being one with God. One in purpose, one in love, one in worldview. One in, ultimately, we're being brought into a complete union with God. I mean, that's what he has taken us to. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, they, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent them or sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I've given them that they may be one even as we are one. Now, Jesus is not praying there for you and me to be one. He's not praying that we as a church would be united directly. Hold the thought. What he's praying is that we would be one with him as he is one with the Father and thereby we are one with God. And if I'm one with God and you're one with God, we will by default be one with each other, won't we? That, that's an amazing thing. So God wills this. God is doing this in our life. But here's an essential truth that you've got to take from this week. That holiness in our life is a partnership between the grace of God and our surrendered heart. You see, we have a responsibility in holiness. God makes us holy positionally in Christ, but this practical life of holiness is something we have to work at and discipline ourselves to. It's not an instant three-step program. So it's not like, and, and you know this, you didn't come this week because we're going to give you these three steps to, to being holy. You can't do it in three steps. Three steps won't get me from here to there. I've got the rest of life. It's a lifelong journey is what this is. So I don't, I don't uh, have time this morning to, to do it all. It, it just pull up, the, you can throw the J.C. Ryle quotes on the screen there, and uh, I'll try to just kind of highlight it. But basically, Ryle in his book on holiness says that is it, is it appropriate that we attribute holiness to simply faith? Well, I believe, therefore I'm holy. He says, does this align with Scripture? He says, I don't think it does. And then in that second half of the, of the quote, just if you'll take it to there, Brother Corey, he says, even though that belief on Christ is the way into holiness and, and we continue in that belief to progress in holiness, he says, that is not all there is. He says, but surely the Scriptures teach us that in following holiness, the true Christian needs personal exertion and work as well as faith. The very same apostle who says in one place, the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, says in another place, I fight, I run, I keep under my body. And in other places, let us cleanse ourselves, let us labor, let us lay aside every weight. So there is a personal responsibility to holiness. So unity, holiness, solidarity. The Latin word for this is integritas. It's a, it's a concept that, that, that used to be embraced in the church. Integritas, oneness, wholeness with God. It's like our state motto here in North Carolina, not for you furners. Esse quam videre. It means to be rather than to seem. 
And this is what God wants in us. He wants us to not just look like we're Christians because we go to church and because we wear a suit, but He wants us to be Christians. That's real holiness. So our desire today should be to align our heart with God. And I think when you look in the Sermon on the Mount, that everything Jesus spoke about, He spoke about the things that typically keep us from this. Our anxieties and our worries over all the other stuff. You know, food and clothing and how am I going to pay the bills and my health and I'm worried about whether I'm going to get sick or not. And what does he say in Matthew 6, 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just focus on the kingdom. So our worry and our hectic pace of life and our anxiety over getting stuff and getting things done, it is choking out our life with God. And what is Jesus' answer to this? He, he brings us to this one thing. And Henry Nouwen just says this so wonderfully. He says, Jesus does not respond to our worry-filled way of living by saying that we should not be so busy with worldly affairs. He doesn't try to pull us away from the many events, activities, and people that make up our lives. He does not tell us that what we do is unimportant, valueless, or useless. Jesus does not speak about a change of activities, a change in contacts, or even a change of pace. He speaks about a change of heart. The amazing thing about Jesus is he's always doing the opposite of what we've been doing. We tell people, if you want to be right with God, do this, do this, stop doing that, stop doing that, change all this stuff. But Jesus' answer is simply not to correct them in everything they were trying to do, but to say, just correct this one thing. Just align your heart with the kingdom. And everything else will be okay. It'll fall in line. This is, he didn't throw the Baptist rule book standard thing you were talking about at them. He just wanted them to move from the many things to the one thing. Just as he said to Martha, Luke chapter number 10, you know those verses well, but Martha's cumbered about with all this serving and care, and, and she's just hustling and bustling, and she's getting frustrated at Mary because Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And there are times to work. You know, there are times to be busy, but there's never a good time to complain about somebody who is abiding in Christ. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are, you are careful. You're troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Just one thing is needful. Singularity. If we can align our heart with the kingdom, if we can align our heart with Christ, the path to true holiness, that's where it begins. To set our hearts on the one thing. The one thing that matters. The one thing that brings everything else into the right perspective. Christ alone. Christ in you, the hope of glory. His kingdom. So everything we're learning this week, from now the end. Everything we're learning is about helping us develop this singularity with God. It is about helping us become one with Christ in holiness. It is about helping us to become Christ. Now, unless that statement seems strange to you, let me use Bible. Paul said, till Christ be formed in you. See, it's a biblical concept. I'm becoming Jesus. I'm being conformed to the very image of Christ. This is what we're after this week. And, and nothing will bring us closer to that than to start out the week by taking us back to John 15. Jesus said, abide in me. This is what we're after this week. Because union with God brings fruitfulness. What kind of fruit? If you study John 15, he talks about 
joy and peace and, and all these, this, this fruit that we need in our life. All the things that truly satisfy the heart and fill up the heart. So I think our biggest trouble is our independent attitudes. We are comfortable living life apart from God. We're comfortable finding time for God here and there and at this meeting and at this time and at this church service. But in between all of that, we're comfortable doing life without God. And that's the definition of ungodliness. Yes, Christians can be arguably the most ungodly people on the planet. I mean, the Holy Spirit resides in us, and yet we're comfortable living life without God. I mean, who's the worst, worst more uh, to blame here? The heathen or the Christian who has God but ignores him? So, um, Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ, he said this, and I'm going I'm to pray, close this. But he said, when Jesus is near, all is well and nothing seems difficult. When he is absent, all is hard. When Jesus does not speak within, all other comfort is empty. But if he says only a word, it brings great consolation. The word grace. And you think about Mary at that tomb that morning. She's weeping. Her heart's broken. And one word, Mary. <laughs> If we get nothing this week but a word, we'll be in good shape. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you again. And Lord, as we consecrate ourselves to this task, we also invite you and welcome you into your role to shepherd us Lord Jesus, to guide us through and by the Holy Spirit to guide us into your truth that we might become one with you. That is our desire, that is our prayer, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.